morning. Well, it's, again, it's great to be with you all, and if you weren't at the, during Sunday school hour, um, my name is Greg McGee. I served here as a youth and worship pastor from 2001 until 2008, and um, a couple of years ago, God called me and my wife, Roxanne, to move back to what was my home area in the St. Charles County and help plant a new church, and we've been doing that for three and a half years, and God's really blessed, and uh, this church um, uh, invested in that uh, financially. Uh, as well as in your prayers and your thoughts. And uh, so for a few times, I've come back on a Sunday evening and shared with the church just some updates about what God's doing. Um, but just to share again with you, we, we are, uh, have been a campus of another church for the last three and a half years, going on four years. And uh, this next year, sometime in 2023, we're not really sure yet. It just kind of depends on when everything kind of falls together. We're going to launch out as an autonomous local body. And uh, all of that is, uh, as Brian shared, is in part possible because of your investment. And I just, I'm here just to say thank you uh, in part. And Brian gave me the great privilege of getting to be here and share God's word with you. And I'm going to be talking to you out of Acts chapter 1. Uh, Brian has been talking with you all about testimony, about your witness and what that means. And, and I thought, man, what a great, what a great passage to, to jump into in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus gives the call, the charge to his disciples as he gets ready to head off into back to be back with the Father and sends them out as, as witnesses. So I want to start with sharing a story. Uh, when we lived here, we lived at 510 West Arlington. 510 West Arlington is a little house uh, up there and um, rented it for six months from Don Glassford. Remember Don Glassford? I rented from him and then decided I didn't like renting anymore. And so I walked into his office and I said, Don, I want to buy the house. He says, well, how are you going to get financing? I said, I have no idea. I don't know what I'm doing. I just know I want to buy the house. And so we worked it out between him and me and we bought the house. And as soon as we bought the house, for those of you who remember, it was a white house at the time. It was a little bitty white square house and the sidings, the siding on each side because the sun went in that direction was just in horrible shape. So I decided, I've got to replace that siding. Again, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm 23 years old, but that house needs new siding. So I start tearing the siding off, and I go down to the lumber yard, and I pick up some of that masonite overlap siding, about a 12-inch siding, and I start putting siding on. Now, here's the issue. Somehow, i got to cut the siding, right? But I'm 23. I don't have any tools, and at the time, I didn't really know anybody. I didn't know who to ask, and so I just thought, I don't, I don't know. What have I got? What have I got? So I was looking around, and I found a tool, not the tool, a tool that actually did it. And you guys are going to be blown away. Does anybody remember this story? I don't know if I've ever told this story to anybody. I cut every piece of siding on that house on the two sides with a box knife. I'm not kidding. I would put it down and I'd measure out the angle and I would score it and score it and score it and score it until I cut all the way through with the box knife. Probably why I have so much pain in my hands as a 44-year-old, right? What I've learned over the years is having the right tool is important, right? Anybody? Having the right tool is a big deal. Uh, I have kind of become a tool nut, and, and one of the reasons is because of some of the investment in men in this church. Richard Jones is one. Richard taught me uh, how to build a deck. I was building a deck on the back of the house, and I had no idea what I was doing, <laughs> but I knew some guys who did, and so Richard Jones came over and showed me how to build a deck. Um, I, let's see. I had to drywall some spots in my bathroom, and Randall Christofferson came over and taught me how to drywall in my, in my uh, building. Rusty Strother came over, I don't know how many times, to help me with different things, 
And uh, as I watched those men do things that they already knew how to do, I learned. And one of the things I learned is that the right tool is a big deal, having the right tool. So now I have a collection of tools. Now, I know in this part of the world, red versus green is a big deal, right? right? Like you drive green, drive green or you drive red. And in the tool world, um, yellow versus red and black, right? We got any DeWalt fans? Who's DeWalt fans? Anybody? Going to DeWalt? Very few. Uh, Milwaukee? Who's Milwaukee people? Nobody? I don't care. Raise your hand. Okay. Apparently, we don't use tools around here. Maybe that's why I had to use a box knife because nobody has tools. So now I have all these tools. In fact, uh, I got a, a gift from somebody, a gift card uh, last fall, and uh, Lowe's was running like this big sale on this like big pack of tools, and I got all these really cool tools. I've got a jigsaw, wireless jigsaw. I've got a sawzall. I've got a, a circular saw. I even have a, a band saw, like a, a, a a portable cordless bandsaw. I haven't even used it yet. I don't even know what to do with it. But I have it because it was in the pack, right? But there have been a lot of times when I've been working on a particular project and a, and a problem comes up, right? And there's something that needs to be solved. And so I go to my bag of goodies and I find just the right tool for the job. And I get that tool out and I use it. And it's so satisfying to be able to do that job quickly and efficiently with the right tool instead of scoring siding with a box knife, right? <laughs> Well, we talked about this this morning in Sunday school, and I just want to share with you, each of you have been designed specifically for a purpose, right? I'm just going to use two examples. A circular saw really is best used to cut long, straight cuts. Like if I, want to, if I don't have a table saw and I want to strip a piece of plywood, I'm not going to get the jigsaw out. Because the jigsaw is not designed to make long, straight cuts. Now, you can do it, Right? If you're in a pinch and all you got is a jigsaw, you can cut a piece of plywood with, with, with a jigsaw, but it's not really designed for that. That's what a circular saw is for. So you can use a circular saw to cut those long straights. But if you need to cut a curve in a piece of wood, like if you need to cut that piece of plywood in a shape of some kind, don't use a circular saw. <laughs> you'll bind it up and you'll burn it up. I've done, I've done that, right? Use a jigsaw or something similar to cut the curves into the wood. And sometimes in our life, we can look at like, you know, say we're designed like a jigsaw, and we cut curves really, really well, but man, we don't cut straight paths very well, and we look at the circular saw, the person who's the circular saw, and we're like, man, I, I wish I could do this. I wish I was more like that person. And the circular saw looks at the jigsaw and says, man, I wish I could cut curves. All I can do is just straight lines. But the reality is, and then some of you guys are the bandsaw, and you don't even know what you do, right? You're not even sure what you're designed for. But I tell you what, there's going to come a day. I just know it. There's going to come a day when I'm working on something and I've got a problem that needs solved and the best tool in the bag to use is the bandsaw. And I can't wait for that moment when I get to get that little saw out and use it for something. I'll probably come into the house and celebrate and say, I used this saw, right? Excited. And God has created each of us specifically for a purpose. So I want to talk to you about that today, about the call of Jesus for purpose in our life. But I want to give you a little bit of background on the passage we're going to be in today. For those of you who don't know, the person who wrote the book of Acts, which is the book we're going to be in, was Luke, which Luke was this uh, friend, this companion of Paul, walked all the way around with Paul, did all kinds of ministry with Paul. A lot of, a lot of people say that the, the gospel of Luke really is the gospel of Paul from Paul's perspective. And as the apostle, then Luke tells the story. And Luke was a physician, so he was incredibly exhaustive. If you want to read the most exhaustive account, of the gospel, of the story of Jesus, then you would go to the book of Luke. He just gives lots of detail. 
and the whole story of the gospel, of the, of the story of Jesus Christ, right? But Luke, the gospel of Luke was one of a two-volume set, right? Luke was the gospel of Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and Acts is the, is the ministry and the life of the disciples in the early church. So here's the end of Luke, chapter 24, verses 50 through 53. He says, it says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Now, this is kind of like... Um, let me just, so Jesus shows up on the scene, right? And it's not the type of person that the disciples and the Jews were expecting. This is not the Messiah they had dreamed of. The Messiah they dreamed of was going to be a conquering king, was going to deliver Israel from the, the captivity of the Romans, and was going to come in like this, this conquering person to just rid them of all the troubles that they had. And Jesus ended up being a suffering servant, as Isaiah had testified, right? And so, I, I, but I look at this story, and Jesus, he comes on the scene, he shows up on the scene, he dies, which stinks, right? And all the disciples are sad, and they don't know what to do with themselves, and so they scatter. But then he rises from the dead and shows back up the disciples, yay, and everybody celebrated, right? And he's hanging out for 40 or 50 days, right? And everybody's like, oh, good, everything's back, and everything's good, and all things are going to be okay. Whew, that was, that was close. And then he leaves again. <laughs> just can you imagine the disciples at this point, right? They're like, he's here, then he's gone, then he's here, and then poof, off he goes. Okay, see ya, right? What do we do now? And, and, and Luke leaves us there. It's like that horrible TV show you've been watching, right? And you get to the end of the episode, and it leaves you on this horrible cliffhanger. Am I the only one? Anybody? No? Oh, it's terrible. Roxanne and I used to watch, we, we don't get to very often anymore. We're too busy, we got lots of kids. But we watch a show almost every night, and when we watch a show, uh, there, were, there were these ones that we'd watch sometimes, and it was like, okay, we have to watch another one, right? And then you get to the end of that one, okay, now they're doing this on purpose. We have to watch another one. And then eventually we have to say, we've got to go to bed. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm just kidding. We wouldn't stay up that late. But thankfully, Luke didn't completely leave us hanging. He came back with the book of Acts. And we're going to jump into there in Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And from here on out, you can turn to Acts chapter 1. That's where we'll be for the remainder of the morning. You can follow along with me there. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, it says this. In the first book, the first volume, oh, yes, please stand. Go ahead. Yeah. <clears throat> it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He pressed himself, uh, I'm sorry, he presented himself alive to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Uh, verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. 
God, I pray that you'd open our hearts to receive it. I pray that you'd open our minds to understand it. And I pray that you'd uh, op- open our, um, our senses to what you're doing around us. And God, I just pray that as we uh, hear your word, God, we would respond to it, and that our next heartbeat would be a heartbeat of obedience. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you can be seated. All right, so we're going to start looking here in verse, uh, verses one, uh, 1 through 5. Uh, and in verses 1 through 5, he gives us kind of this, uh, it's, it's kind of like, you know, when you're watching those TV shows and it's like uh, last week on, <laughs> starts kind of giving you this update, right? And he, he says here, I, I, the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with the life and ministry of Jesus, right? In the previous episode, here's what we dealt with. Right, and the first season ended on this cliffhanger, and they, and they're just and we as readers as we're uh, down the generations, we look at this and we're like, well, what happened next? Uh, and for us, it's right there, right? It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then Acts, and we can just go right into it if we want to. We can read Luke and then go right into Acts, and we know what happened. But for Theophilus, poor Theophilus, right? I mean, who lo- who knows how long it took for Luke to write the book of Luke, get the book of Luke to Theophilus, and then to write the book of Acts and get the book of Acts to Theophilus. But Theophilus has been just like on pins and needles, waiting for Acts chapter 1. And it says in verses 6 and 7, we're going to look at this real quick, there are three last things that happen here that I think are important. Three final moments, three final things that we see in the life of the disciples as they interact with Jesus. And the first one is the last question. In Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, this is the moment that I realize these guys still don't get it, right? They're still struggling. The Holy Spirit has not uh, uh, um, come into their heart, come into their life, and they're looking at Jesus, right? Okay, remember, Jesus is born, he lives, his ministry starts, he dies, uh, he resurrects from the grave, he hangs out with them for 40 days. And then right at the very end of that, the disciples look at him and say, okay, okay, now, you kind of had us tricked, right? We, we, we didn't know the whole death thing was going to happen, but cool move. Man, that was awesome. Way to go. Way to raise from the dead. That kind of shows that you're powerful. Like this whole thing of bringing Israel out of Rome, it's going to be really hard for them to stop you if you just keep like jumping up out of the grave, right? You can just keep on going, just keep on fighting, right? And they say, so now, now Jesus, now's the time, right? Now we know that you've come back to life, so now you can deliver us from captivity. And Jesus just looks at him and says, man, it's, I can imagine in, in, in our vernacular, we say, you, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. You just don't know what you're talking about. He says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. They still didn't get it. Their vision was still small. So their vision you guys ever get to this place where, like, there's this moment in your life where you've dreamed this thing that God wants to do in you and through you, and you have this vision in your mind of what God's going to do, and you start pursuing that thing, and you get, and, it, and then it takes all these detours and these things that you didn't expect. You know what I'm talking about? But then you get to the end of the story, and the story that God wrote was way better than the story that you could have written. Whenever I was at a First Baptist Extra, I told the early crowd during the Sunday school about the time whenever I really just felt like God changed the call on my life from specifically student ministry to, to being a lead pastor at a church, and it just kind of blew me away. 
And at the time, I thought, man, who's going to hire me, <laughs> right? Like, what church is going to look at the, at the uh, resume and see youth pastor, worship pastor, youth pastor, youth pastor? Youth, what church is going to hire me? And so I just didn't know what that was going to look like. And so I just started praying about it. And, you know, I had this big dream in my mind of what that might look like. Well, then when Matt called me and he said, hey, Greg, I want you to come help me plant this church, number one. The first conversation I had with him, he says, Greg, have you ever thought about planting a church? And I just looked at him. I mean, I didn't. I looked at him and said, nope, not even for a second. I don't really have any desire to because that's a lot of work. And um, I kind of like where I'm at. They take good care of me. I'd like, to, I'd like a church like that that's kind of already established, has been around for a long time, solid, right, can just hire me without me having to go ask people for money because that was the last thing I wanted to do. But then the conversations continued. And then whenever I went in, before we planted the church, um, I just didn't really completely understand what this thing was going to look like. And then when I got about six months into it, I thought, God, this is not what I thought you were calling me to. I thought you were calling me to do something completely different. And this doesn't look like what I wanted or what I thought that you had for me. Fast forward two and a half, three years, and now, church, I'm at the point where the story has come full circle, and I look what God has done for the last three and a half, four years, and now he has challenged me and stretched me and taught me and humbled me and hurt me at times, but has brought me all through that. And the story that he has written for the church at North Road and my role in the kingdom is far better than the one that I had dreamed up four years ago. And I think sometimes we're in that place just like the disciples were. Their vision was small. Their vision was, let's deliver Israel from the Roman Empire. And Jesus' vision was, I want to deliver the entire world from their sin. It's not about the Roman Empire. Why would I be so focused on the Roman Empire? They're just going to come and go. They're going to rise and fall just like every other nation. I'm not interested in the Roman Empire. They're nothing to me. I could take them out in a minute. My purpose and my goal and my vision is to see the entire world, this generation and the generations to come, to surrender their hearts and life to Jesus Christ so that they will be found and have life and have purpose and have abundant life in my name, right? That's the goal. That's the big picture, and that's the big vision that Jesus was looking at. And we celebrate grand visions like money and accomplishments and prestige, power, our lawn. I don't know, maybe you guys don't do this. This is a thing in St. Charles County. I mean, the lawn is a big deal, right? Like having the right grass and having it the right height and trimming it just the right way and having all the plants out. And people, you know, guys will do the whole thing where they, they mow their lawn and, and they get done and they, they go stand at the window just every once in a while and they just kind of look. They're not doing anything. They're just looking at it because it looks so nice, right? And they spend a lot of time. In fact, I had a guy in my church and when I preached this a few weeks ago, I said some, sometimes the things, the small vision that can, can capture our attention is something as small as how green is my lawn and is it greener and fuller and nicer than my neighbor? And I wasn't even, obviously, I didn't know that this was something that he was literally spiritually struggling with. He came up to me after service and he reached in his back pocket and he grabbed, he gave me, he handed me $200 in my, in my hand. He says, Greg, put this to use in the church for whatever the church needs. This was going to go buy me some stuff on my lawn today, and God's convicted me. I need to stop spending so much money on my lawn, right? I think there really are things that small, 
And sometimes it's bigger. And I know in this area, um, our vision can be um, this much land and this much, this many bushels per acre and this, this. And we got all of these big dreams and big aspirations. And our vision is minuscule compared to what God has. His goal is not the thing that you've been designed. I mean, because I believe, and some of y'all are farmers, and that's what God designed you to do, right? You are designed specifically to do that. And I'm thankful because those of us in the city, if it wasn't for y'all, we'd starve to death, right? But listen, the vision of God's life is not farming and it's not banking and it's not teaching. That's not God's vision for your life. God's vision for your life is how can you leverage the thing you've been designed to do for his kingdom, all right? So that's what the disciples had to learn. And they have this last question, Jesus, are you going to now deliver Israel? Jesus said, nah, you don't get it. There's some other purposes going on here. So Jesus gives them the last charge. He gives them the purpose. He gives them the purpose right to him. And he says this, but you will be my witnesses. You will receive, sorry, you'll be received power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. The word for witness here is martus. It's the word from which we get our word martyr. The definition specifically is a witness in a legal sense, giving testimony, right, about something that you have seen, right? So if you're giving a witness, if you're a witness in a witness stand, and let's say that there's a murder that has happened, and you are called to be a witness, you're called to give testimony. You sit in the booth, and you answer questions, and they say, where were you on this night? Well, I was in this spot. Well, did you see Joe Schmo? Yes, I saw Joe Schmo. Well, what did he do? Well, he shot that girl, right? You've given testimony. You saw something with your eyes, and you gave testimony to it. That's the, le- that's the sense of the meaning of the word here. It's like a historical sense or, a, or an ethical sense that you're giving this testimony, this witness. So Jesus gives, this one, gives them just one last charge. You will be my witnesses. I'm calling you as a witness to the witness stand, and it is time for you to speak about the things that you've seen me do. It's time for you to speak about the ways that you've seen God use me, that you've seen me minister to the world around you and the, and the things that I've done in the world around you, to be a witness. And I shared this with the first crowd in the, in the Sunday school. It says this in Acts chapter 4, and, and because they got this, right? They heard that, they received the Holy Spirit, and they went to go out, and they began to just talk about Jesus all over the known world. And they're standing in front of the Sanhedrin, and basically they're telling them, you got to stop it. Stop talking about Jesus, start sharing the gospel, stop doing what you're doing. And Peter says this, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to him, to God, you got to be judge, right? If you think it's wrong for me to listen to God instead of you, then judge us, jail us, kill us, do what you're going to do. That's up to you. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We complicate this thing so much, sharing the gospel. The gospel is simple. It's as simple as just talking about what God is doing in your life. And I told this to the first crowd, for some of us, that can be pretty convicting. At times in my life, for somebody to look at me and say, Greg, sharing the gospel is easy. Just talk about what God's doing in your life right now. To be, if I was being honest, I would look at you and say, but God's not doing much in my life right now. What would I share? 
And I think so many Americans, so many church-going people, so many Bible-believing, blood-bought believers are struggling to share the gospel because God's not doing anything in their life right now. It's not because God doesn't want to or isn't able to. It's because we're not in his word. We're not, we're not seeking. We're not, we're not filtering everything that we do through the purpose that God has given us to be his witnesses. And the question is, have we allowed smaller purposes to get in the way of God's purpose? Jesus called it out of them. He says, I need you to testify. I need you to be my witnesses. In fact, he leveraged the future on it. He told his disciples, listen, it's better for me to leave and so that I can send the Holy Spirit, and then I'm going to send you out as the church, and you, I mean us, this church, this local body in Vandalia, Missouri, we, you, are called to be the light set on a hill, to be the testimony, the witness of what Jesus has done. And not inside these walls. I mean, Brian, I know, preaches his heart out every Sunday morning. But if the gospel exists inside these walls, then the church is not being the church. The church is only the church whenever we get up from this place encouraged by the word, strengthened through its message, energized by worship, you know, overwhelmed by the presence of God and take all of that, all of that we've seen and heard, all that God has done in us and through us and all the things that God has said and we walk outside the doors and we begin to share that story with people outside. That is when the magic of the church comes alive, when God begins to work in the community around you. Last thing I want you to see is the last glimpse and I can only imagine being the disciples in this moment. It says in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, it says, When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, excuse me, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's the story in a nutshell again. Jesus shows up, does miracles, changes lives, radically changes the disciples, dies. Disciples' dreams are crushed, but Jesus comes back, so they're excited, and he hangs out with them for 40 days, and then leaves. Remember, the disciples believed Jesus was going to be the one who's going to deliver them from Rome. They had this smaller purpose and smaller vision. And I can imagine as they stood there and they watched Jesus disappear from their sight, their dreams were crushed again, and they thought, what now, because last time it was is a little more palatable because somebody killed him, somebody took him from us. But now he looked at us and said, "Okay, peace out, y'all. I'm gone." He left us, but Jesus' purpose was to deliver the whole world. And not too many days from then, the disciples were gathered in a room, and they were praying and they were worshiping and probably talking about when do you think he's going to come back? Is he going to come back tomorrow, a year from now? When is he? Maybe they're just looking outside every once in a while. Maybe Thomas every once in a while would just walk out to the window. No, 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 not yet, right? And they're waiting, and they're anxious, and what, what's going what's gonna to be next? And the Holy Spirit descends on that group, and that day, Peter walks out, and they begin to speak in different languages, in different tongues, and Peter shares the gospel, and 3,000 people were saved. 
And they're asked the question as they get their last glimpse of Jesus as he ascends into heaven. These two angels show up next to him and say, what are y'all doing standing here looking into heaven? Did you not just hear the man? (laughs) Did you not just hear what he said? You're the witnesses. Get after it. Okay, I told Frank I was going to tell a story about him. So Frank and Lana show up, I don't know, on a Sunday morning. And uh, I don't even remember how this all went down, but at some point we start having the conversation that, that he had been leading worship at a church. And, um, and I'm like, great, awesome. Do you want to come help me, right? And so they start coming on uh, to our practices, and we start leading worship together. And, uh, and I don't remember the timeline of this. I just remember I had an old Gibson SG, and it was sitting there. And I don't remember if, like, Frank was like, hey, can I mess with that? And I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. I don't remember the whole story. But at some point on a Wednesday night when we're rehearsing or whenever that was rehearsed, he picks up that electric guitar and just starts shredding, like, just doing all kinds of stuff. And I looked at him. I'm like, Frank, I didn't know you could do that. And then he told me his story. He told me that he got saved at 27. Is that right? And he had been traveling around doing lots. In other words, he, was, he had a smaller vision for his life. And when he got saved, God opened that vision. But one of the things that Frank gave up in that time when he gave his life to Christ was that rock and roll uh, electric guitar stuff. And he sold all that stuff. And I, again, I don't remember how this whole conversation went, but my thought was at the time, I think a lot of times we don't, we don't go after God's purpose for our life because we think he's going to make us sell all the things that we love. We think, we think he's going to make us give up all the things that we love. And here's what I thought. And I don't know if I remember I told Frank this, but my thought was God doesn't want you to give that up. He wants you to redeem it. Right? If you're a farmer and you, and you go to follow Jesus, I don't necessarily think that God's saying you're going to have to sell all of your case stuff, right? You don't have to, you're going to have to go up red and you're going to have to get buy green, Alan. Right? <clears throat> Not going to happen, okay? I don't think God does that. Most of the time, I mean, sometimes he does, right? Sometimes he looks at us and says, here's something you've got to give up, and, and that's a very personal thing between you and God. But I think a lot of times what God says is, I need to redeem this. I need you to stop using it for your purposes and start using it for mine. And as we, as they watched the last glimpse of Jesus, in that moment, God called them to start using the things that they once used for their own gain for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of his kingdom. And the Holy Spirit enveloped them, um, filled them up, and they went out and began to do this incredible ministry. Jesus said it greater things than what he did. And now, fast forward 2,000 years, and we are sitting here as a testimony of what God has done because of their obedience. Frederick, I don't know how to say it, Buchner, I think, says this. The place that God has called you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Say that again. The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet go back to Frank and Lana. Frank and Lana love music. In fact, I don't know that I've ever met a couple that loves music more than Frank and Lana. I mean, they just, if you go to Frank's house, 
probably he's going to sit down and he's going to, let me show you this song that I just learned. Let me show you this song that I just learned. He's going to be, you know, as Frank, just playing and playing and playing. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. He's excited about music. It's his deep passion in life. And that deep passion, apart from Christ, becomes a very self-glorifying, look-at-me thing. But that passion, whenever it is centered on the world's deep hunger, then you have a worship leader. You have a person who leads people to the throne of God so that their hearts are ready to receive God's word. That's, That's purpose. So here's the simple formula. Your passion plus God's plan equals your purpose. What is my purpose, Greg? What's God's will for my life? Well, what's your passion? What has God designed you to do? Where does that intersect with his plan? And right there you'll find his purpose for your life. Go back to the tools yesterday. <laughs> yesterday? I don't know. It's run together. I think it was yesterday morning. Roxanne left and did some things, and um, our, our water faucet handle just broke off. Like she just turned on the water, and it just broke off. And so one of my least favorite things to do is anything to do with plumbing, especially under the sink, because um, guys my size were not designed to be under a sink. We just, we just weren't. And so I begin to take out the old sink, and the, uh, the bolt, or the, yeah, the, the nut on the bolt has been, you know, water on it, and it's whatever. It's just seized on there. I couldn't get it loose. And every time I tried to turn it, the faucet up top would turn. And so I had to get out my favorite tool. It's an oscillating saw. Anybody have an oscillating saw? It is glorious. It's the most amazing. If you don't have one, go buy one today. I'm just kidding. It's an oscillating saw. And it was the only thing that I had that could get up in there, the only saw that I had that could possibly reach into this spot, and I just sat there with underneath the sink, right, six-foot-four guy underneath the sink with an oscillating saw cutting off this bolt. And in that moment, that, that tool, although all it does, I mean, all it does is it just vibrates, right? That's all it does. But its purpose there was just expounded by the need. And your purpose, your design, what God has designed you to do is is most valuable when shown with the need. You ever heard the expression that God's glory shines the brightest against a backdrop of darkness? When we see the darkness and the great need of the world around us, all of a sudden, that passion of ours, that purpose, that design, the way that God has created us, when filtered through God's plan and what he desires to do in the world around us, that little simple thing you can do, little simple thing, okay, let me give you this example. When Derek and I were here, uh, Derek did a spiritual gifts inventory with me and the deacons. And so we filled out this spiritual gift inventory, and I got it done, and I just knew what mine were going to be, right? Like, um, I just knew what they were going to be. So I filled it out, and the one at the very top of the list, I didn't even know it existed at the time, right? My greatest gift, uh, according to that test, was hospitality. Hospitality. I'm like, what? Like, cooking? Like, what, what is that? And so I start digging into that. And so now, my favorite thing to do on a Sunday morning is I stand out in the foyer. I'm there every Sunday. If you show up to North Road Community Church, I'm out there every Sunday. 
And when a new person comes in, I see him immediately, and the, the passion of my heart, honestly, and I don't do this on purpose. I used to do this when I was here. When somebody would just show up to the church, I'd be like, hey, you want to see the building? Let me take you around. Are you thirsty? Would you like a drink? Are you hungry? Let's go get something to eat, right? That's just the way I'm wired. And God has, as he revealed that to me, it's just a, such a simple thing. It's not like some incredible great talent. It's not, it's just something that God's placed in me. I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about people feeling comfortable wherever they are. And God has, as he revealed that to me, has shown me that I can leverage that for his kingdom. Because people, when they walk into our church, they may be coming there for the, who knows what their background is, who knows what they went through last night or last week, who knows what they're walking out of, but to walk into a building and have a, an, an awkward tall guy with a gray beard walk up and say, hey, welcome, I'm so glad you're here. What brings you here? Can I ask your name? You want some coffee? And God uses that for his kingdom. So, my question to you is this. What's your purpose? How has God designed you? What is your passion and where does it intersect with God's plan? And when you take your passion and God's plan, his testimony, the things that you've seen him say and do, the ways that you've seen him act around you, when you take how you've been designed and your passion and you take the story that God has written on your heart and you combine those two, they become an incredible power in the world today. Because people are looking for hope. They're looking for hope. You know that's the difference between us and the world? It's hope. It's not that we don't grieve. We do, don't we? It's not that we don't have struggles. We do. We just don't do them without hope. We walk through this life knowing that this is not it. This is not all there is. So maybe some of you here today that maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you're, maybe you're struggling with that. Maybe you're struggling with, I, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to let go of this thing. Let me tell you, it is worth it every single time. And maybe some of you, probably more of you, that you know that you're called to do something. God's been speaking it to your heart. God's been tugging at the strings of your heart. He's been pulling you. He's been speaking into you through his word and through other people. And you know that you were made for more than what you're doing right now. But either you feel like, mm, they don't need me, or they don't, wouldn't want me, or you feel like, I don't have time for that, or I don't have the resources for that. Can I just encourage you? There's no greater journey you can walk on than to be right in the center of who God has made you to be and be living out your purpose. And all of it for the sake of the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the example of the disciples. God, that whenever they received the Holy Spirit, whenever they saw, um, whenever they saw what you did and they lived with you, they walked with you, and whenever they came to that place in their life where they surrendered all to you, God, you used them to do things that, that are just unbelievable. And God, I know that you are the same God today that you were then. And you desire just as much to use the people sitting in this room as much as you used the disciples back then. God, there are 8 billion people in the world today. There are several thousand people within 10 miles of this building. And all of them need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
God, I just pray that in this church you would raise up among the people here individuals who would say, God, expand my vision. Help me see outside of my circle, outside of my little world here. And God, where does my passion, the way that you've designed me, intersect with your plan? God, would you leverage my life for the sake of the gospel? Would you allow me to be a witness on the stand to tell the story of what Jesus has done? And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.